Hello and welcome to the PD Performance Podcast. This episode of the podcast is a conversation with another former classmate of mine, Charlie Norton Sherwood, who is working at the moment over in the Arsenal FC Youth Academy as a strength and conditioning coach. Charlie was incredibly vulnerable over the course of this conversation, and it's a great listen if you're a strength and conditioning coach that's just entering the industry. There's tons of lessons in here that myself and Charlie have learned the hard way. Charlie spoke incredibly well about the difficulties of the strength and conditioning industry, what is wrong with the culture at the moment, and how we have to take time to ourselves in order to be able to give our best selves to our athletes. We also talked about working with youth athletes. We talked about change of direction and speed work with youth soccer players. We talked about the value of internships. We talked about not becoming saturated in strength and conditioning information. And we talked about disassociating your career from your own personal identity. A terrific listen with tons of lessons for anybody that's entering the industry now. I advise you all to listen to this great advice from Charlie. He is an absolute gentleman and I hope you all enjoy it. If you do enjoy it, please remember to like it, share it and send it. Season two of the PD Performance Podcast is kindly sponsored by Output Sports. Output Sports make athlete testing and monitoring simple, portable and efficient. Their single sensor tool enables the measurement of over 160 exercises spanning agility, speed, power, mobility, reactive strength and much more. The tech is utilized by the FA, Leinster Rugby, Limerick Hurling and your very own PD Performance, to name but a few, but also gyms, clinics and schools around the UK and Ireland and they're now branching out into the States as well. As a listener of this podcast, you can get 5% off with the code PT5, P-E-T-E-Y 5. So get onto Output Sports as soon as you possibly can, because I am achieving great things with my sensor that I've been using so far this season. I've had great buy-in with my athletes and I've been using it myself too. And I gotta say, it's a lot of fun. So contact Output Sports with code PT5 to avail of your discount. This podcast is also sponsored by Coach Sam Portland's Mentorship Program. Sam's Mentorship Program helps strength and conditioning coaches to navigate the minefield that is the SNC industry at the moment. Sam is big on education and you'll certainly learn a lot about speed, change of direction and general SNC over the course of the program, but there's also a big emphasis placed on personal development as well something that's definitely missed in the traditional education system, especially in SNC. You'll learn about business, self-care, and much, much more. And look, the proof is in the pudding. I entered the program over a year ago as a burnt out coach that was sick of the industry and struggling with confidence. And now I have a podcast and my own private training business. So I'd highly recommend getting in touch with Sam. And if you are interested, simply contact him over on Instagram or Facebook using the code PERFORMANCE to avail of a discount. You can find him at Coach Sportland if you're looking for him on Instagram or Facebook. And if you want him via email, it's sam at coachsportland.co.uk. Remember, code PERFORMANCE and you'll get a nice little discount. Now, onto the podcast. Charlie Norton Sherwood, welcome to the PD Performance Podcast. 
a little while since we last talked, but looking forward to having a chat and just a chin wag, as you said yourself, because when's the last time we connected? It's about this time last year, was it? Or about nine months ago, maybe? Yeah, well, first of all, thanks for having me on. Um, but yeah, it, it has to be since then at least, but then an even further time since we last seen each other. Yeah, and a lot of changes even in that nine months, like for both of us. Huge yeah. changes. Good ones Huge. as well, though. Good ones. Good, yeah. Um, so what's going on today? You're going into work later on, you said, at about, what, half 11, 12? Um, actually, today, so it's Wednesday, is my day off. So pretty chilled today. Um, I've got my own training later on. Um, apart from that, nothing much else going on. Hopefully try to convince the girlfriend to go see Batman with me. That's about it. Yeah, the reviews are in the air. There's a few bad, a few good. I think some very, very good and some very, very bad. So hopefully you get to give us the inside scoop on what it actually was yeah. like. But what is on the agenda for the training today? Are you still weightlifting? So still weightlifting. Um, recently, I joined like a weightlifting gym here in London. So it's called London Olympic Weightlifting Academy. And it's like a, a great facility, like lovely weightlifting gym. And I just go and join their group sessions. It's a lot of fun. Because you're not really coaching yourself, you're actually being coached. So it's nice to have someone push you in that regard and, and you're in a nice group setting. Because as like SNC coaches, we're normally on the opposite side of that the whole time. So it's good to kind of switch those roles. But I know you and I know that you're a coach's dream. And Tommy will say that as well, because you, <laughs> you well, probably because you're a strength conditioning coach as well. So you're interested in the intricacies of the coaching and why you're doing certain things. But I've seen you being coached in person as well. And you're just so in tune to what's being said to you. And you're so switched on. Whereas that's a dream as a coach, because you can just well, it's actually, it can be tough as well because you have to really watch what you say with the athlete. But it's a lot easier, I would say, with that type of athlete than it is with somebody who's disengaged or somebody who's not interested in taking on board what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Um, I, th I think it is important for us to be able to like switch roles and see what it is like coming from the kind of athlete's perspective, especially depending on the sport that you work in. And so what, are you looking at competing soon or are you still competing or are you just doing it for the love of it at the moment uh, a little bit of both so mainly started off as as just trying to do something for myself in terms of like work-life balance at times we can kind of put like our own priorities on the hold um so i thought it might be nice okay try and get a little bit back invested into the sport and just do something for myself and my days off in terms of going to the weightlifting gym getting coached just having a nice time and enjoying myself do you know what's huge about that as well is as coaches, we often can try to cram our training sessions in whenever it suits us throughout our working day. And then we end up training in the same place that we're working. And I find anyway that when you do that, you don't actually get an opportunity to switch off. Whereas when you go to a different setting, it just you just feel more free or something you feel like you're actually switching off and focused on your training whereas when you're in work you're seeing staff you're seeing co-workers you're seeing some athletes might be coming in and out and as well as that if like the bins need to be taken out or whatever mid-session you just go over and you're like right well I better do it now I suppose because I'll forget later on so you you don't actually get an opportunity to switch off so I'd imagine going to that weightlifting gym in London has given you that escape I guess is the best word for it, even though maybe it might not be the best way of, of putting it, but gives you that opportunity to switch off at least. 
Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. It's nice because I, I also think that at times we can place like so much dedication and care towards our athletes, um, but we don't allow ourselves the same affordances. So that's what I'm trying to do in terms of my days off, switching off a bit more, trying to do something that I really want to do and, and try and get better at and get coached in it, like actually invest some money behind it and further those experiences. Yeah. And I suppose we got into it because we love training as well. So we might as well go and enjoy our training at the same time. I didn't think we'd get into the self-care this early on in the chat, but we might as well <laughs> roll with it. But it's it's it comes to a point in everybody's career as a strength and conditioning coach when you realize you can't fill from an empty cup. When did you manage to realize that and what kind of spurred you on to realizing that and then what changes did you have to implement after that you've touched on it there taking some time for yourself but what actual practical changes did you implement that other young snc's can go and implement now after they've listened to this i guess where this kind of first started for myself was about last year covid just brought about so much uncertainty for like everyone and it just wiped everyone's sense of normality away and during that time like i started to feel like a little bit down so i come back from work i just like sit on the couch and i could feel myself just like sinking in between the cracks and like not being able to get out and i just found myself stuck there endlessly watching like episodes of the office on repeat and i'm just not really having like any energy to do anything or or talk to my girlfriend and um, or give like any energy to my friends or my family so it was at that point where i kind of figured okay well this isn't happy this isn't like healthy um so i need to do something about this and my friend who i was talking to about this he told me that he was, he was seeing a counselor who kind of helped him quite a lot uh, so that's when i like reached out and it was really nice because the club that I was working at at the time had like a system for helping you kind of through these episodes. So through the club, I was able to get like some counseling sessions and like they helped so much. And throughout one of these sessions, the counselor was great and she framed what I was doing. And she just asked me the question, like, at what expense are you doing all this? So, okay, you're going into work, you're giving everything you have to kind of like your athletes and the staff around you, but it's leaving you wiped and, and you don't have any energy for like the rest of the day when you go home or just to enjoy life. So that's kind of flipped the switch in my brain. So it, it, it kind of like made me value different priorities in terms of like how I then actually went about, I don't know, trying to get some energy back in my life. It, it was just trying to take more control and put more responsibility for what I'm doing in terms of not just accepting, okay, giving my energy away the whole time or, or in work, just running myself into the ground. It's just trying to take a step back, look big picture and, and value my life outside of work. I can definitely empathize with you there. I think we've all been there as well. And COVID definitely brought it on for most of us too. Um, mm. So yeah, I'm, I'm there with you, mate. And it can be incredibly hard to take that step back. And I think it's even more difficult given that we work in an industry that seems to value running yourself into the ground and just absolutely dogging yourself and just grit and hard work and just dig in and do as much as you possibly can and don't sleep and get up at 4am and whatnot. And I think it is changing now. But at the same time, I think when you come in as a young coach and you see older coaches and a lot of very successful coaches doing that, then you think, right, well, I have to 
I have to assimilate this role now if I'm going to be successful. So then you just try to be somebody that you're not. Yeah, yeah, definitely agree. There's that like John Wooden quote in terms of don't mistake activity for achievement. So when you're an intern starting out, you will associate kind of success or getting higher in the career ladder by just putting in so many hours, like being seen as the first person in the door and the last person to leave. And sometimes, unfortunately, that might actually pay off in terms of people's perception of you will be, oh, they're a hard worker. But in terms of looking at a, a sustainable and long-term career, it's, it's not optimal. And that's something that I've realized, like, I love my role and I love what I do. So I want to make this as sustainable as possible. Um, I don't want to be like in this for, say, four to five years and, and then leave. I'm, I'm, I'm in this for the long term. Yeah. And it can be hard to get to that level of perspective, especially early on. But I like two of us are talking about it here now as if we're masters of it. I still slip into it sometimes. <laughs> I, well, not sometimes. A lot of the time I slip into it. And it's just having that self-awareness to check yourself and be like, Jesus, I'm actually spent here now. And I know I have two more coaching days ahead of me. Um, so I need to do something for myself. Whereas you, it takes you a little bit longer when you're younger to realize that things outside of S&C actually benefit your coaching within S&C. Um, so how have you looked to become less saturated in strength and conditioning but rather than when you're early on, as I've read on your blog, just reading S&C, just speaking to S&C coaches, living in an S&C world. And then what would be your advice for somebody or to somebody entering the industry now in regards to that? Yeah, so I've, I've kind of hinted on a few of those blog posts that I've wrote is that like reading worker aspects outside of S&C has helped my S&C career far more than just S&C texts alone. I think one of the main differences is like, that principle that like tools are greater than facts in terms of, okay, when we go throughout school, it's, it's always prioritized or preference. Okay. That you learn the facts and pass the exam. But when you get into real life, the kind of exam becomes before the kind of learning. So with books, you get a little bit of an insight into like both the exam and the lesson itself. But with regards to, I've lost myself. I'm sorry, Peter. You're all good. In regards to, I would imagine, being saturated in S&C and then reading outside of it, what would you advise to a young S&C in coming into the industry now? Let me try and think about this. I don't know what's come across, but I'm a little bit nervous. This is the first podcast, so... Um, ah, don't be I'm nervous tired. at all, mate. You're well able, but <laughs> it's just a chat. Like, and it, like from my perspective anyway, I, I'm right there with you. And I'm just thinking back to when we were in college together before we had an exam. And, you know, we'd be all there with our exam notes outside this, the exam hall. And people would ask you, you'd be like, ask me a question. And then me and you would be prime example of having a fact just memorized yeah. like completely just to reel off like and like yeah, we yeah. might have even understood it as well as we probably should have but we were just we were just we were totally immersed in the Irish education system of rote learning and we didn't actually probably critically um, analyze anything or think think about things too much it was just like learn everything all the information and then put on paper for whoever was was grading it and then we'll get as high a grade as we possibly can so I'm I'm there as well I I read very little SNC nowadays I read a lot of psychology a lot of business I'm actually getting into things outside of that now I'm reading a lot of history reading a lot of kind of current affairs stuff and do you know what? Like, I actually have more of an appetite for reading it because 
for however many other hours of the day, four to six or whatever, I'm just immersed in S&C. And as you said, there's tons of stuff in from the business world that can be applied to strength and conditioning coaches. And one of the biggest ones is just looking after yourself as best you can and employee well-being, et cetera. But as well as that, like when we further ourselves in our career in S&C, it seems like just a gradual progression to move from, say, right, intern, assistant strength and conditioning coach, head strength and conditioning coach, uh, director of athletic performance or whatever. And very soon they just start promoting people that are good at coaching into managerial roles with very little managerial experience. So I think understanding people and understanding how to both motivate people and what motivates them and how to communicate with them and then delegate. That's the one that I'm very bad at delegating. Well, I think there's great value in that for S&C coaches, because as you said, if you delegate well, then you're going to have more energy to give to your actual coaching, which is the part of it that you actually enjoy. So I would, that would be my advice as well is just read as much as you can from external but don't put pressure on yourself to read loads as well because I probably put a lot of pressure on myself early on that I had to get through all these S&C books but you should probably just get one strength and conditioning book read it and understand it and read it well and then start to apply it first before you move on to the next one because I do find myself getting into a cycle of jumping from book to book to book and then you look back at the book you were reading five months ago and you're like what the hell was that about again? Did I implement anything out of that? Or did I just read it just for my own, uh, just so I could say that I read, read it to myself, you know? Yeah, yeah, I do. Um, like on, on that reading, like what you're saying, there's, there's a lovely quote by Naval. Um, and he says, read what you love until you love to read. So like at the beginning, just like pick up whatever you want to read. Um, and then that hopefully will lead down the line to trying to read different texts about things that will like like make you better or make you think differently about what you're doing and what what you're saying about like that pressure to read snc books like i used to be awful on myself being like no no i have to get in read 10 pages a day like if i didn't do it i'd I'd start to feel like really bad about myself being like oh i'm not getting better i'm not improving i think that's one of the like the blessings and curse with snc in terms of we can always get better and always learn more which is amazing because it's it's such a great feeling like improving yourself in your practice but at the same time, if we feel like we've grown stagnant and we're not always improving, our like outlook on ourselves begins to change and we start to view ourselves in a negative kind of connotation where in reality, like everything in life ebbs and flows. It's okay if you're not kind of improving every day or if you're remaining stagnant for a little bit of time, as long as you're just like part of, remaining part of like the journey and, and enjoying the process. I think young SNC coaches and SNC coaches in general as well have to realize that the work is kind of seasonal. So there will be periods when you'll be overrun with work and you'll have loads to do and you probably won't have the opportunities or the time to further yourself in terms of self-education and self-development because you will have so many coaching and programming hours, etc. And that's okay. And it's okay to push yourself for three to four months and have all your eggs in one basket but it's just after that you've got to realize that okay now I have a little bit more time I probably after working this really hard period should probably take some time to myself and a little bit of time off so that I have a little bit more energy and then later on when I feel ready 
then I can go and I can start educating myself and improving. But I think 12 months of the year, self-development, personal development, education, etc. I don't think you get the most out of yourself when you do that. And if you did get the most out of yourself when you do that, why would the education system have a break halfway through? You know? Yeah, definitely. I think within SNC, we love to talk about, say, like the high-low model and applying that for training for athletes. I think we also need to apply that for ourselves in terms of like our learning on a short term throughout the week or even our own, say, like coaching hours in terms of, okay, we know these certain days are going to be really intense. So so let's step back or take the pressure off ourselves on our day off and just fill out, do whatever we want, um, disassociate from the job, disassociate from work. Like again, that's another thing we encourage our athletes to do on their rest days is just like take it easy, chill out, like go for a nice walk with the dog if you've got one. Um, like that's something that we should adhere to as well. Yeah, definitely. And I, in the last little while anyway, I've started experimenting with putting my hardest training days on my hardest work days. And I know that we probably shouldn't like, well, at the same time, I've been using that high-low model, but incorporated into work and my training, it, it, like essentially but at the same time i will tell people i'd be like the general population if you're on your highest stress work day maybe it's not the best time to do your highest stress training day but then maybe i need to apply that myself but i find i i'm operating better because i know say like yesterday was such day like my tuesday so i did my lower session and i had a good few coaching hours as well and then I know today, if I'm going to go to the gym or do anything, I'm just going to do some low intensity aerobic stuff and maybe a little bit of um, David Gray's lower body basic. Shout out to David Gray, uh, just to keep myself feeling good, um, which is basically just isometrics, etc. So then I'm today I'm going to feel completely stress free. Like I'm even sitting here having this enjoyable conversation with yourself. And I think that is suiting me better than it did when I would have done my easiest training day on my highest stress work day. And then I would have done my highest stress training day on my low stress work day. So then I thought it's a stress is stress, as we know. So then I was just completely spent throughout the whole week. Have you experimented with anything like that? Or are you just too busy at the moment to say, um, try and do those highest stress training days on your highest stress work day? Because I know your highest stress training day are probably double the amount of stress that mine are going by what you're lifting anyway on your on your squat your deadlift etc i haven't i haven't messed around too much with that that's mainly due to like when i go to those classes in the in the weightlifting gym in terms of i normally go on my days off so that's when i feel i feel rest and recovered so i can i can go for it a bit more i've probably gone the opposite in terms of if i know i have a high stress day in work when i go to the gym myself it'll be like low intensity zone two cardio hit a few machines and then call it a day yeah, and I, I I was there before. Look, but it is about finding what works for you. And that's what we should probably say to the people that are listening to this is you're just seeing two people have a conversation here who have different things work for them and both is working and neither is right or wrong. Whereas when you come into the S&C industry initially, it's you have to do this. This is good and this is bad. And that's that black and white thinking and that absolute thinking that you've spoken about in your blog before. Um, what are some of the absolutes that you were told when you came in first into the industry that now you've just thrown out the window? I've I've kind of flipped in terms of just like firstly realizing that that everything does have a place and it's all down to our interpretation and use of 
of various safe tools, exercise models, depending on the situation and the context. So I know like at the start, I would have loved reading about like periodization, set and rep schemes and the likes. Didn't realize how they could apply, say in like a, the chaotic and uncertain nature of say like team sports, especially within football. And that's when I found like some of Milan Jovanovic's work in terms of like his book, The Strength Training Manual and The Hit Manual have been like incredible. And applying some of those principles of say like agile planning, minimum viable program and that barbell loading strategy has helped so much. In terms of like say that minimum viable program, what that's hinting at is that we're trying to ensure that like every week we are hitting those important perceived physical qualities at the lowest resolution possible. And then I really like that barbell loading strategy because, okay, if I was going to give you like a hundred quid, you're not going to put it all straight in like a, a high risk stock because you might lose it all straight away. So you're going to invest some of it in say like a, a low returning bank account. So that's kind of putting some saturation into those minimum physical qualities and then investing a little bit in those high risk stocks when the time is right. So being a bit more aggressive, say with certain strength or, or power kind of modalities to elicit certain benefits. But I also went like too far that way in terms of I went like too minimum at the start because I read Mladen and I was like, yeah, this is great. I, I chucked out all like the other periodization research or, or philosophies and I went completely like planning week to week and not looking too far in advance. And at the same time, that can be great, but we need to be cognizant that we are still providing enough saturation to kind of stimulate an actual get changes within certain physical qualities. Um, so it's like with that, that I've come to realize, okay, you need to take a little bit from every sector and just see how it applies within your own context. Exactly. And then you put it together and you make it work for you. It's easy to fall into that and be a little bit more reactive then than proactive in your training when you're reacting to fixtures and minutes and how much a player has played. And you can see exactly how it would work in an association football context because they play so many games. It's just crazy. So sometimes you're just looking to retain qualities, but it it same applies to Gaelic football and GAA as well because they play crazy games, but they also have work stress as well. So the minimal viable program works incredibly well there. But at the same time, some of the players will ask me, do you know what we're going to be doing in two, three months down the line? And I will say, I know what I think we're going to be doing two to three months down the line. I might not have it, it like completely on paper, as you said, in terms of, how what sets reps etc we're going to be doing because that's virtually impossible we can't predict the future but i'll have an idea of what goals i'm trying to achieve and what i'm trying to what adaptation i'm trying trying to achieve with the athletes but then we also have to focus on the here and now and we can't just get absorbed in what are we going to achieve in four months time because the reality is that there's a fixture list and we have to win games so there's no point absolutely battering your players to try and achieve this adaptation down the line. And you can say to your head coach, look how strong they are now. It's like, yeah, but we're in a relegation battle because we've lost all our games. They're all fatigued uh, because you've been battering them. So that is something you have to realize too. But again, you can go two sides of the spectrum, I think, with it. Um, but that minimal viable program works so well in a, in a football context and a GA context as well. So what kind of qualities in specifically do you look to incorporate into most of those sessions throughout the week and you try to hit 
Yeah, it's, it's just maintaining that we have like, okay, some form of strength stimulus, some form of power stimulus, and maybe some like hypertrophy type work. And then you can further reduce that down into certain just training modalities in terms of, okay, have we lifted something moderately heavy for low reps? Have we lifted something like a moderate weight for kind of like fast speeds? Have we lifted something light for fast speeds? Have we lifted something for several reps? Have we isolated the posterior chain? That's how I like to like break it down a little bit, especially in terms of congested fixtures. I'm doing all of those in like a such low volume type work that like there's no, no doms introduced to the athletes. But when you do them in such a low volume as well, you also give the athlete the opportunity to drive intent in those lifts more so than if they see on a piece of paper, just as an example, if they see five by five, the intent that's not going to come from the five by five probably isn't going to come as if you put in five by two and then they're doing two sets of, of five, then they're definitely going to strive to work hard on those two working sets. So driving intent with the athletes and having them lift effectively is incredibly important. And sometimes when you're younger, you just try to get the volume that is recommended into a session and you end up having far too much volume, as well as that you try to hit absolutely every movement that we're taught in the book you have to hit to have an effective strength and conditioning session, which we know now is completely impractical and unnecessary. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I remember my first year, I got my first full-time role. I was, I was just like super excited, obviously, first time full-time role. And I was like, okay, I'm going to write the best program ever. We're going to back squat on one day. We're going to RDL the next day. We're going to deadlift the next day. I was like, these are, these are youth athletes and they do not need this whatsoever. Um, so it's just like stripping the program back to like the bare minimum. And at times, the only way you learn that is through experience. And was that one of your biggest mistakes when you came into the industry first in programming all of that into one week for youth athletes? Yeah, definitely, 100%. Um, but again, like you, you only learn these things when, when you're starting off. I remember that year or so, did my internship, and then I got a full-time role after, which is great. And then, you know, the Dunning-Kruger effect? Yeah, exactly. Your years experience, but like your perceived knowledge. So first year full-time, I thought I knew everything. And then I went and did an internship out at Elon University, and I went there and I was like, I know absolutely nothing. And it was one of the, like the best, most humbling experiences I could have done because it just brought me right down to base in terms of, okay, there's so much to learn, so much to do here. So looking back now, I'm sure you feel kind of thankful for having that experience of being thrown in at the deep end and making those mistakes rather than sometimes if we look back on things that we did wrong, Sometimes we can cringe at them a little bit, but you have to feel a little bit thankful that you made that mistake because then you had the opportunity to learn from it. And if you didn't make that mistake, you probably wouldn't be in the same position in terms of the level of your coaching that you're in now. Yeah, 100%. Like the, we learn like from those mistakes so much. Um, I think the biggest thing is not associating mistakes and failure with ourselves in terms of we can view it in terms of I am a failure or I have failed so when we make a mistake we aren't a failure we just have failed it's just like a, a one action it's one point in time now we can move on and learn from that and that comes back to a lot of the time as strength and conditioning coaches if we introduce ourselves to somebody else you might be saying I'm Charlie I'm a strength and conditioning coach 
and you define your whole identity from your career. Whereas we have to get better at realizing that it's only one part of your personality and it's only one thing that you do. Um, and it can't be the first thing that comes out of your mouth. It's nearly like people that turn up and tell you they're vegan at this stage. It's I'm a strength and conditioning coach and that's all that I do. And that's everything you need to know about me. So we need to get better at having other interests and other endeavors outside of strength and conditioning, outside of training. And it can be hard because we get into this because we love those things. But you've got to nearly look for other things that will allow you to switch off, I guess. Yeah, definitely. And then then on that, if you associate your kind of personality and who you are with your career, your job, when someone criticizes what you're doing, you take that like as an attack on your person. Um, Ed Catamull wrote that book, Creativity Inc. Um, he was like one of the co-founders of Pixar. And he just, his, the best thing I took away from it is you are not your idea. So when someone criticizes what you're doing, okay, they aren't attacking you. They're just merely pointing out, okay, what was that you've done there? Or, or asking you, questions about that and that's one of the things that I that I learned or I had to learn because at the start if someone questioned what I was doing I took that as an attack on myself and I began to question who I am you know almost um so you really do yeah you need to separate who you are from your career and if you don't get the feedback as well you're not going to improve and that's something that I see people struggle in terms of athletes and people that I coach struggle to give me feedback when I actually actively ask for it they're kind of a little bit like oh uh, well yeah I found it great and it like I don't want to like it's great that you're complimenting me and you found it great and whatnot and it's fine if you want to tell me what you found really really good and I'll double down in those areas but I'd also like to hear something constructive and this is an open discussion that's why I'm asking for it you should feel comfortable enough to say what you struggled with from the programming or from the coaching or what is needed because at the end of the day this is client-centered care so I want to improve the service to you so that then you can thrive and then if you're thriving then I'm going to thrive as a coach as well because we're both doing we're working towards the same thing we're just guiding you so you have to feel comfortable enough to give us the information to help us guide you do you ask your athletes for feedback in regards to that and do you find the same thing and sometimes there's a bit of a reluctance to give you that feedback definitely I think there's like a broad spectrum of players in terms of there's a few who are like very switched on and know what they like and they will give you feedback with regards to that like young athletes can be ruthless in terms of telling you no I'm not enjoying that like what are we doing here this is really boring and and that is like such good feedback in terms of trying to like okay well, I've got to switch it up. I've got to not just stick to that program that I wrote a week or two weeks ago and adapt to, to what we have at hand. And that's like one of the, the main aspects that I enjoy with youth sports. And I think everyone should participate or work in youth sports at some level because like they, they won't hold back the feedback, especially like some of the very younger ages in like nine oh, to 12, they'll tell so you straight good. up what's happening. They're so good. They say, and they give you like life advice as well, somehow like in advertently like they just say the gas of stuff and it really makes you think you're like you're just saying exactly what comes into your head and it's so refreshing and um, there's no agenda and they can smell your bullshit as well <laughs> excuse the french they smell it from a mile away they know exactly what's going to be fun and what's not and they will be suspicious if you're trying to get them to do something for the sake of it so exactly and i think 
we should be coaching different levels of athlete and different age levels as well, because what applies to the professional elite level athlete still applies to your youth athlete or applies to your general population athlete. And the same thing that applies for the general population, the youth athlete also applies to coaching at the elite level. There are slight differences as well. Obviously, there's well, there's big differences, but there's also big similarities in how you coach. And it also means that you're coaching a diversity of people. So you can't wear the exact same coaching hat all the time. You have to think about how you're communicating, think about how you're delivering your messages, etc. And that allows you to develop as a coach without having to read a book, <laughs> which we talked about earlier. Um, so then in terms of looking for feedback and going and actively pursuing things that will further your development, you touched on your internship there with Elon University. What was that like? What were the major learnings from it? And what were the benefits of kind of immersing yourself in that internship? I think there's, there's a number of like different benefits. If if you can, like I, I would encourage going to somewhere completely different, um, different country, like would be amazing because I know I've you spent some time in, in Asia yeah. as well. So it's just doing certain things like that that take you completely out of your comfort zone and let you like experience different culture and see how they work. So over at Elon in America, one of the things that I discussed earlier in terms of not being too agile and like programming and still understanding that certain physical qualities need saturation to improve that's what helped me considerably from my time there and it's just also understanding how like a high level department works in terms of how they structure their sessions and Nick DeMarco is the heck guy there and he's just an amazing person and I had such a great time out there. Deadly what are the drawbacks to such internships or not just that internship but internships in general and what needs to change do you think in the industry to make them more attractive i i think as a whole like internships are getting better now in terms of people are seeing the value of like people growing up their time in terms of like not being like okay you've got to come in work 12 hours and you're going to get nothing from it um the best internships that I've done, they've either given you something in terms of maybe like paying for your master's or they've provided like so much benefit to you as a coach that you're happy to stay there and you're happy to be working for free because they're investing so much time and trying to develop you as a person, as a coach. I think if, if you're like in one of those internships where you, you're not feeling that, it's trying to see like the opportunities that are around you and trying to like just get the best out of them. Sure, you might not be where you want to see yourself in your career ladder, but everyone kind of does go through those phases. And it's just trying to see, okay, what are the opportunities around you? Is there trustworthy people that you're working with that you can just try and learn as much as possible from that will benefit you for the future? Yeah. And I, I think in terms of internships as well, the internships that give you responsibilities that aren't just the general responsibilities of a floor intern that just cleans up and uh inputs data and all that type of stuff they give you the opportunity to actively actively coach and program those are the ones that develop the best coaches because the best way to develop your coaching is uh, is obviously to coach like you will learn from people around you obviously but at some level they have to give you responsibilities so the best advice is 
find what you enjoy doing that I could give anyway is find what you enjoy doing about that internship and do more of that but also do a little bit of the stuff that you don't like too so that you can get a little bit higher level of proficiency at that stuff so that you can make it by with that stuff and ask as well ask the coaches can I do this for you can I do that um and ask your mentors loads of questions as well why are they doing this why are they doing that and that's something that I've realized from taking on interns the best thing that happens is you actually question your process or you think about it a little bit more because they'll ask you why you're putting something in or why you're doing it that way or why you're doing it this way and you will think well why am I actually doing that and how do I communicate that here and then why don't I do it a different way I've just been doing it the same way all the time so it's just a fresh voice and your mentor will be incredibly happy to have that fresh voice as well so just be as active as you can but at the same time what we talked about earlier holds true too don't take on too much because that's something that I struggled with as well and feel comfortable enough to tell your mentor when you feel like you've too many responsibilities at the moment and maybe they could delegate something to somebody else Um, but definitely there's value in internships and doing internships I think it's it's essential well it is essential in the industry um, but the best time to do an unpaid internship in my experience is probably when you're still in university and that's something that you're not really told when you're in university you just focus on what you're learning in the university but you should be going out and getting active coaching hours if you're thinking about going into coaching at that time and I was lucky enough that I did my placement um, coaching and then I went into a role after that that followed on from that internship but other people aren't so lucky and then they exit university they have to pay for a master's and they have to give up all of this time to an unpaid internship so the best advice for people that are offering internships, as you just said there, is to look after your interns as best you can because they're going to be the ones that are recommending that internship to people down the line or they're going to be your employees in the future. So you've got to look after them as best as you can. And sometimes if that can't come in terms of financial reward, it can be other things. It can be, as you said, it could be housing, it could be food, it could be just looking after you when you're in the building, it could be given you whatever you need to make it easier for you to to get to the actual internship it could be any host of things but it's also just showing that you care about the person's development and they're not just there to fill a space and fill a role and I'm sure that's something that it sounds like you got in the internships that you've done yeah yeah definitely um there's there's that saying in, in terms of how is it go how does it go um no one remembers what you said, but they always remember how you feel or how they made you made feel. You feel yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and throughout all my internships, a lot of them have like had such positive like feelings towards myself in terms of made me feel better, made me feel more accomplished as a coach. And that was something that like provided me with so much value. Um, because at the same time, say that Elon University internship when I went there and I thought I knew a lot. I got kind of, oh, wow, I, I have so much to do here. At the same time, I was quite happy with myself in terms of, okay, no, I'm, I'm ready to go on this and I'm ready to improve in this journey. And then part of the internships as well is obviously networking. And as you said, you remember how people made you feel. So in order to meet those people, you've got to put yourself out there and network and speak to people. 
And obviously, having you left your previous role to move to London and whatnot, you had to do a lot of networking. So what would be your advice to somebody there that's in a similar position and is struggling to put themselves out there and go and meet people? I think this advice also goes along with, say, like a coaching philosophy in terms of just being yourself and being authentic and genuine. Um, I remember seeing a coach who, like in the past, who ran his team like in quite a strict manner um and this was a while ago when i was like back in university and that i saw that and i seen the level of respect and responsibility that was given to him and also how the athletes responded to him and i was like oh this is great like this is how i should act and then when i got back to dublin and i was working with like like these little tennis kids i was like okay no 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 come on i'm gonna be strict and on you guys um, and like only want the best from you but like they just saw through me straight away because I just wasn't being myself I wasn't acting the way I normally would and that also goes to kind of looking to network or build connections just just come from yourself come from a place of genuine curiosity in terms of wanting to have conversation with people that would be like my major advice it sounds like you learned the hard way with the 10 year olds as we often do <laughs> yes, was, yeah, a, free, a complete like free for all <laughs> yeah yeah. But it's good to be in the chaos because you learn from the chaos and you learn how to handle it. But definitely authenticity is like so important, especially with your athletes. Um, and it sounds like you're at a place now in your new role where you can be as authentic as possible and you're comfortable being authentic. So do, do you think that helped you with, to connect with the athletes that you're working with now? Yeah, I, I, I do think so. I, I think it just helps with any sort of conversation because you're not trying to be someone you're not. Um, you're just coming from like who you are um, and you're also like abiding by your own rules and principles because you're not trying to always like impress other people and that's something that, that I have to learn from the hard way in terms of just being more comfortable with who I am like if you set the terms of success yourself there's more chance of you succeeding in terms of trying to always appeal to like others definition of success I 100% get you. Yeah. And it sounds like you're in a good place with that now. So how is the new role going? Because we haven't even talked about it yet, really. Like how, how is it going? Um, is it everything that you imagined? And what are you working at at the moment that is kind of blowing your mind, essentially? Um, so the new role is going well. Uh, so I work at Arsenal in their academy. And there's two sites at Arsenal. I work at the Hale End site, which is where the 9s to 16s train. So I primarily work with the 14s and then help Perry and Jordan out with the other ages when and where needed. Um, and that's one thing that I'll, that I'll say like straight away going in, it was just incredible working with like Perry Stewart and Jordan Matthews because the first month, like the imposter syndrome was just so much in terms of like, I was like, oh, what am I doing here? How did I get this role? There's there's no way I should be working with these people. Uh, they're just incredible. and. It's one of the best things about the role and um, like Perry Stewart is just a fountain of knowledge and he's, he's so great in terms of like leadership aspects as well and trying to pick his brain and learn everything I can from him and then also like the major boss is Tony Strudwick and just having conversations with him is just incredible because he's got so much experience and like I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying the new role and it's one thing that Perry has like established so well at Hale End is how to take the kind of research and best practice from youth sport and really apply it in the most effective way possible, how to maximize outcome and minimize the amount of like 
input you have to do in terms of okay say like reporting or or like looking at the gps in terms of always okay what's the maximum gain we can get from this without having to sit at the laptop for three hours so yeah so is a lot of it systemized then by the sounds of things and that just enables you to have more opportunities to coach and um, because you don't have to spend the time going through the data going through reports actively kind of like writing things etc it gives you the opportunity to do what you do best and be your authentic self yeah yeah i would it would i would say that and i think those systems that say like perry has put in place only come from like places of experience and like time spent in various situations and learning what works learning what doesn't um because i was amazed about say like the growth and maturation type reports that they've done or that they do and and how they use those to kind of like assess players or or how they use those to have conversations with the coaches which is just amazing and that's one thing that i kind of like neglected in my past role is having conversations with the sport coach and trying to understand what they're doing what they're trying to achieve within the session and how best we can also help that say in our in our on-field physical development Sounds like there's real open lines of dialogue between the sport coaches and the, say, practitioners in the athletic performance kind of uh, faculty. And that's there's obviously great value in that, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, 100 um, percent. So the main coach that I get to work with is a guy called Josh Smith. And like I, I thoroughly enjoy working with him. And it's again, like, it's nice to just go in and have the conversations about what the plan for the week is, what we're trying to achieve from today how we can manipulate training to achieve what we want. And because they have those open lines of dialogue and they had them before you came in, do you find speaking to a sports coach, they understand what you're talking about a lot more than maybe in previous roles? Yeah, I do. Um, The dialogue and like that ability just to communicate with each other is like so important, I think. Because at the end of the day, like the, the sport coach is probably having the most say or impact with the athletes in terms of their dare to improve football and how they manipulate training is going to give them the best chance of succeeding or improving their ability to play football. So like we can get a bit like nitty gritty on certain set and rep schemes that we're going to do. But at the end of the day, are they improving their ability to play the sport? And how do you have conversations where, where you can try and impact that? I don't know if you've ever read like James Smith's book on like the governing dynamics of coaching, but it's just trying to zoom out and take that all encompassing view of kind of like athletic development and trying to improve our players. So it's in that regard, it's really nice because you're trying to maximize the impact that you have on these athletes and you have to have great conversations with the sport coach to do this. Keep the main thing, the main thing. I haven't read that book because I've seen James present a couple of times and I've had to, like, it's been via video. So I've had to pause it every 10 minutes because the information is just like, whoa, like my head is sore, like from all of this. So I haven't fancied digging into that um, too, or yet anyway. So then in terms of that transition into the Arsenal Academy for you, was it fairly seamless because they had systemized it all or was it quite difficult initially um, to fit into that model before then having it be a lot easier for you? I, I think the transition went went pretty well. Um, and I think a lot of that is to do with the sport coach that I work with and also Perry and Jordan in terms of them being just so helpful for me at the start. So that, that was great. Um, and I, like, I'm so thankful for both of them. 
um, especially Jordan, who took so much time with me at the start in terms of brushing me up on all the systems that they use and how like the day-to-day runnings take place. And once you understand the system and those day-to-day runnings, that's when you can kind of implement your own kind of style or your own flair um, and what you like. And again, it is going back to that thing of, of, of just being yourself, like try not to be someone else, but try not to be someone you aren't. Um, and that's going to help because they're just going to see, okay, this is what this person values um, and they'll understand it. So then to touch on, because we've talked a lot about being authentic in an attempt to achieve buy-in with your athletes, there is a bit of a stigma in the football world that athletes sometimes struggle to buy into their strength and conditioning programming and their strength and conditioning training. And sometimes there's a lack of trust there, but we all know that Arsenal is peak. So are there still instances when you struggle to achieve buy-in with certain athletes or was it a lot better than in previous roles in the football kind of world no i i think it is similar in terms of there, there will always be those kind of athletes on the fringe who are kind of unsure but it's just having open and honest communication with them and conversations in terms of relaying why we're doing what we're doing and then asking why do they have any hesitancies or restraints about doing certain things and then trying to understand that like who to say we're right at some of the times because we're just like imposing our view of the world or or our view of performance the whole time they might equally have as great a point as we do that we just haven't considered and we'll never hear that without having those conversations with them absolutely and you find out as well what they like and what they don't like so i know in terms of research strength power and speed characteristics of elite football are of utmost interest to you but is it of interest to them? Do they enjoy that type of training as well? Or what do they enjoy? And then you give them more of that. Yeah, I'd, I'd say like with regards to like that research, so that was done like at, at Leicester with some of my colleagues there. And like what's one of the best things about that is that is that we made like benchmarks in terms of, okay, what's very good, what's below average in terms of these speed, power, strength characteristics. And then we can look at like what is the barrier to entry at the next level in terms of trying to ensure that, say, the 16s possess the average qualities of the 18s so that those physical capacities won't hinder them in their development to become great footballers. Does it always apply to the, to the um, footballers or to the footballing ability? Because a lot of time we do all this research and obviously it does apply, but then you'll have these mavericks or outliers that are just absolute sickos in terms of their football and ability. But they're a conundrum when we test them because we're like, how are you so good? Because you're below all of your peers who are not able to lace your boots, essentially. Excuse that now, I don't mean to offend anybody with that, but that does happen, doesn't it? Yeah, there, there's such a large like technical and tactical component to football in terms of you're just going to have absolute wizards at the sport. And for them, it is a case of sometimes just like staying out of their way in terms of not hindering their ability to go up through the academy pathways and just trying to make sure that they're doing enough to improve certain qualities, such as like that minimum viable program in terms of picking all the boxes throughout the week. And are we doing enough that we're trying to build a robust and resilient athlete? Sure, we might not be able to always like improve their football performance, but we can definitely help them stay on the pitch for longer. Absolutely. And that's it. Like we give them what they don't get on the field because the sport is the number one thing and they have to improve at the sport. So sometimes mm-hmm. as strength and conditioning coaches, we can think all the time in terms of being developmental, but we're not really always developmental. We're kind of supplemental. 
if you get me, if I've put that eloquently. I wouldn't put it as eloquently as you would now. Um, but hopefully that is un- like people can understand that. So we have to sometimes take a back seat as opposed to we'll never be in the driver's seat, but sometimes we're in the passenger seat with the map. If we can get <laughs> it to uh, rally drive it, I suppose. But sometimes we just need to get in the back seat and just be quiet and let the two people in the front seat drive it. But I'm after pulling that analogy out my arse there now, so I am. I don't know where I've come up with that, but it works, I oh, guess. Good. Yeah, <laughs> um, so then in terms of your, we'll talk, like I get a lot of questions about speed and power work, especially lately. What sort of stuff are you doing in the academy to develop one power? And then after, well, we'll say power within the gym context first. And then after we say that, or after we get that, information from you then moving on to speed what are you doing on the pitch yeah so i mean the athletes i work with are under 14s so we are just trying to ensure that they have the kind of foundational movement patterns in place so that they can try and progress them throughout the academy stages and then in terms of like power like i'm i'm a big fan of say embedded testing so every week trying to get the octa jump out and take kind of movement jump scores say within the gym's um sessions so in that, we're using like the kind of movement jump to try and assess their power ability. But again, like we'll spend, or I'll spend the majority of time teaching those movements and trying to get them better at that. Like down the line is where the kind of more fancy and advanced stuff will come. I see at the moment we're trying to, as you said, keep the main thing, the main thing and spend more time on the big rocks than the little rocks. Do you get an opportunity to go out on the field with them and take the warm-ups and microdose in the warm-ups or are you solely inside in the weight room with them? And so maybe your speed and power development is more so from, as you said, a jumping and a plyometric and a landing kind of perspective. And I know they're foundational, but they do apply like, and you will improve at that level, especially if you can learn to absorb force and produce force effectively. Uh, this is like one thing about like this role where it was different from my ones in the past in terms of they with these younger ages you're often doing everything with them in terms of okay you're leading the gym sessions and you're leading every session on field but then you're also a presence within the sport practice itself on field and that's where i've got like a lot of enjoyment this year is being more on field and trying to improve say speed change direction and power through some of our on field sessions and one of the like amazing things that they do here which I haven't really seen done before is in terms of, okay, say if we're doing a speed session, well, I might have them all for five minutes at the start to do some kind of sprint mechanic type work and then get them ready to sprint. And then we'll split into two groups where I'll take half for some like just really specific, specific speed work. And then the coach will take half for some more context specific speed work in terms of implementing like certain areas that they're trying to improve within the football context but incorporate some like say high speed or sprint work and we'll also do that in our change of direction day too that is unreal that's great and as you said like that is so fun for everybody involved because they're also seeing how to run effectively or efficiently but they're also seeing how it applies to the sport and they're working to uh, incorporate it into a sporting context as you said because it's great being able to run efficiently and sprint efficiently. And it is like of such value, but at the same time, sometimes the athletes can have a little bit of resistance to it and they can say, well, I never run like this in a game. But then if you throw it into a high speed game 
then they're going to see, right, well, maybe if I run like this, I'll get there a little bit quicker or I'll be a little bit more efficient and I can do the next run at a higher level rather than if I'm running all over the place, then potentially I'll tire a little bit quicker. So that is unreal. What have you been working at in terms of a change of direction context then? Do you break it down and go closed to open kind of drills with no ball involved whatsoever? Or have you been progressing them from closed drill, semi-closed, semi-open, open drill, and then getting the ball involved after that? Or do you leave all the ball involvement to the sport coach? Uh, again, it, it, it dep- depends on the day and kind of like the theme of the week in terms of if the coach is already going to be doing a contextual specific change of direction drill, well, my attempt at trying to do something like that isn't going to be as good as he's going to be able to do it. So I'll kind of stick towards that closed semi-open type kind of framework because then they're going to get that contextual specific work with the coach in terms of trying to really isolate certain change of direction movements within the context of football. So it is like everyone's on a spectrum in terms of we're not just going open, semi, sorry, closed, semi-open, and then football practice. It's that one step in between that the coach is nailing. Yeah. And it's great to have that help as well and have them understand it, as you said. And that's through the open lines of communication and dialogue that we spoke about earlier. What surprised you the most in terms of their technical ability in relation to their change of direction ability? Do you get what I mean by that? As in what movements were they incredibly good at or what movements were they a little bit poorer than you expected them to be at? Mm. Yeah, it's a good question. And one that I'll probably have to like pay more attention to like coming in the future. Um, like reflecting now. Yeah, difficult one to answer in terms of, because that's one thing I'll say about some of these players is like they are so good. Like on field, like they're amazing to watch. And that's so nice being more of a presence within, say, training and being there for match days in terms of seeing how they perform on the field. There is certain kind of aspects that you can see them kind of struggle with in terms of like really acute change of directions and trying to overload them and trying to define what like the stable components of good technique are for them and trying to teach them that. So there'll be certain areas there. Yeah, absolutely. For my GAA athletes, what really surprised me was with the Gaelic footballers, their lateral shuffling um, is incredibly quick and incredibly effective. And the goalkeepers, now this mightn't seem very, very strange altogether when you think about it. The goalkeepers in their lateral shuffling are the fastest on the team because they're working in that plane all the time when they're in the goal. And they're constantly lateral shuffling over and back, depending on where the ball is on the field. So obviously they're efficient at it. And then I questioned why my my, my footballers were better at lateral shuffling than my hurlers. And then when we got a little bit more open with the drills, I realized that in football, when you are shepherding an opponent, you're constantly lateral shuffling and then switching to the other side and lateral shuffling. So I think that might be where it stems from. But then equally in the hurlers, they're probably more efficient with their crossover stepping. Um, And I think that's because that occurs more in the game of hurling because there's probably more opportunities to try and lose your opponent because you have to create a little bit more space than you would in a football game because obviously you have the constraint of having a hurl in your hand and a slitter and it's easy to get blocked but you have to find space same as any sport 
find a space and close the space. That's what you, you get to see when you work in multiple sports. But anyway, Charlie, thank you so much for that chat. So much insight as usual, but we're going to move on to quickfire questions now before we finish. So the first quick question is proudest achievement to date. I remember being asked about this before and it is in context or in relation to SNC and it's just playing a part in an athlete's in the past ACL rehab um, at my old role. And then once he played his first match minutes, it was just after the game, just coming up and saying thank you and just giving me a hug. And I was like, oh, that, that like, honestly, like even thinking about it now, like it always just like gives me so much energy and I'm, I'm like, I'm so happy that I was able to help him through that. And like, that's why like we, we do what we do in terms of like helping the athlete. And we can sometimes forget about that because we can get too wrapped up or worried about say like the approval of our peers. Whereas we forget like we're there to help the athletes. And that's why I love what we do in terms of helping them kind of achieve their potential and, and exceed it in some cases. Absolutely, mate. You have a harder goal that everybody's going to see that in this podcast. Oh, now, but that's such a good... <laughs> That's such a good answer to that question. And it just shows who you are as a person as well, because what gave you the most pride in in an achievement was helping somebody else to achieve their goals. And that's why you're a good coach. Moving on then, favourite athlete of all time? Um, Oh, it's a big decision. Um, I think at the moment, like Lasha has to be killing in the weightlifting, like just breaking records left, right and centre. Do you have a favorite footballer of all time then, now that you're working in a football context? Maybe it's one of your athletes, or maybe you don't want to say because you don't want to offend anyone. Um, I wouldn't say I have a favorite of all time, no, not at the moment. Okay, good. Ever the po- you should be a politician. Artist, <laughs> artist you've been listening to a lot recently. Uh, it's a bit of a mixture, a weird mixture. Um, so my girlfriend's liking me because I've been listening to a lot of Nelly Furtado. Um, but then on the the other end she is she really is and then on the other end a lot of disturbed so that's probably with um the influence of ian dara our mutual friend (laughs) okay yeah i'm sure he he loves that so he does so (laughs) but that's very there's a a big bandwidth there between nelly Furtado and disturbed um but look that's what life is about i suppose experiencing different things on different ends of the spectrum right what meal or food are you loving at the moment? There's this like um, coconut rice with like kidney beans in it that we have at work pretty regularly. And it's so good. I always compliment like the, the, the chefs at the, at the club because it's just so great. I hear there's just a- anything coconutly flavored. It's so good. Even like the little packets of like microwave coconut rice. Amazing. I hear there's a great spread at Arsenal's training ground. They put on a good spread in terms of the options for food, etc the canteen yeah they're good they're good good. that's a huge part of it as well as why they're successful early on because they were one of the first teams to do that i guess so it's great to see that they haven't lost that as part of their values and they're still keeping you well pleased at lunch times with your coconut (laughs) rice and kidney beans books you've been reading lately um so at the moment i'm reading um american gods by neil gaiman uh which i'm really enjoying I just finished uh, Ready Player One. It was also a movie in the past, and it was mad seeing, like, oh, is this what the universe is going to be? Um, so that was a cool read. What's the biggest thing you've learned in the last 12 months? 
It's probably through that experience of going through counseling in terms of when I was like feeling a little bit down. And like, this is one thing that I'd like, that I'd like to openly say in terms of like, if you ever feel like you need to seek that sort of help, like talk to someone close to you, just, just go and do it because even the process alone of actually going and, and booking the appointment helped so much because I was taking control over how I was feeling and trying to actively do something about it. Um, and then the second thing was probably leaving my job just before the summer because, again, it was me taking control. It wasn't just like sitting passively back and, and just waiting for an opportunity to come to me. It was I was trying to take it within my hands and, and it's, it's paid off, luckily, in terms that I, I have the role here at Arsenal. And that's going great. And, I, and I'm getting to live in London, which I love so much. So it is trying to take control over certain aspects of your life and not just be a passive bystander. Big props to you on that, mate. Especially, I love your vulnerability to say that and to actively go out and try and help other people as well. And that's a great common theme throughout this podcast. But the last question kind of carries on well from that one and that answer. What would you tell your 18-year-old self? Um, there's probably a lot of things that I would tell myself and there's a lot of things that I would let myself just discover by because that's what has shaped me into becoming who I am now so it's kind of hard because I, I don't want to influence myself too much um, but what I would tell myself is not be afraid of being vulnerable or showing vulnerability at times again it, it just goes to who you are a person and what your values are and just trying to stay true to them as best as you can Start earlier as well in terms of like putting out the blog has been such a great experience for myself in terms of trying to refine some of my thought processes and just putting myself out there a bit more. So on certain things like that and probably trying to have like a bit more confidence in me. Um, like I, I'm a worrier and that has like kind of affected me like in the past and, and it's still something that still does. So it's just trying to, okay, you can worry and that is going to help you in some regard because you'll always be kind of checking yourself and, and trying to make sure that you're doing the right thing. But at the same time, like, put yourself first. Early, mate, you're an absolute gent. That was a great conversation. So insightful, as I said before. Thanks a million for coming on and hopefully we'll be chatting again sometime in the near future. Oh, thanks for having me on, Peter. I really appreciate it. I hope we didn't mess up too much with the podcast. No, mate, you were super. Brilliant.